This program is about unsolved mysteries. Whenever possible, the actual family members and police officials have participated in recreating the events. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast. In a world where faith's chosen have ascended to the heavens, and those truly terrible and guilty of heinous crimes of sin have been sent to the underworld, only you remain, the meek who have inherited the world. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. And I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter, feeling very depressed because I've done a lot of reading on our topic today. I was going to say, I, I think the, the bleakness that you're bringing to the table is a really strong indicator of just how, like, fun-loving, and positive this game that we're going to be talking about today is. Oh, I am at maximum Eeyore right now. <laughs> I am I'm Eeyore up to 11 after I, reading this. I saw a review on the Wikipedia page that said, after an afternoon of this game, I needed an evening of Barney reruns to get myself back to a spiritual balance. Well, on that cheerful note, everybody, today on the Goblins and Growlers <laughs> podcast, we're talking about 1995's The End, a game about the end of the world, the rapture, the apocalypse, all that stuff, four horsemen and everything. Oh, my God. Written by Scapegoat Games, uh, who both of us tried to find literally any other games, productions, uh hobbyist reproductions anything about and literally came up empty-handed yeah i'm pretty sure the end was the only thing they published i think i found some references on some maybe 10 15 year old like forums posts indicating that this might have been the only thing that they published they have a the judge screen which comes up on things like board game geek but it's for the end so Right. Right. So what is the end? It is its own role playing system and it is very much a niche product. I think I think that's a good way to put it. The whole premise of the game for anybody unfamiliar is it is set after the rapture and Christian apocalypse where uh, and, and sort of the nut graph of the whole thing is uh, the meek shall inherit the earth was a warning, not a promise because uh, God decides that it's time for the rapture. Everything's over. Um, really terrible, awful, heinous people go to hell. The righteous uh, get raptured to heaven. And then there's the meek. It's people who weren't bad enough for hell, but they weren't righteous enough for heaven. So they get left behind on Earth, essentially. As I understand it, traditionally, people who do things not good enough for heaven, but not bad enough for hell, historically end up in limbo 
which is basically a big nothingness space where you have to do a little more navigating before it's determined where you're going to go. So we are literally making Earth limbo. I mean, that that reading depends on your denomination. It, it depends sort of where you're coming at it from, because there's a lot of different belief structures out there under the umbrella of Christendom. I will I will not at any point during this episode pretend that I am a theologian. I am not, and mm-hmm. I will not assume that I am. Yeah. But so anyways, the setup for the game is told through a story about a guy who is one of the ones left behind. He essentially wakes up one day. Uh, his wife and daughter are gone. Uh, he seems to be the only person left in his town. Uh, and sort of Omega Man style, he's going around trying to figure out what to do. He hangs around the house for a while. The way that God has kind of announced what's happened to everybody is through a dream. Uh, everybody has the same dream, you know, like all, all the meek, that is, have the same dream days and days and days and days in a row where they're standing in line at the gates uh, with friends and family and they'll see somebody in front of them who maybe they know is a, a not one of the best people and they'll see them get dragged down to hell and they'll see uh, people who they know are, you know, good uh, be allowed into heaven. Like the, the protagonist in the intro story, for example, he sees his wife and daughter be accepted into heaven. And then he just kind of wakes up and the way in, in the lore of the game, that is essentially God's final message to humanity. Uh, Cause the the worthy are getting into heaven the damned are going to hell and he's shutting the gates and you're on your own now so basically god's pro- one proving he exists two telling everybody who's left behind you can have it you know it's up to you now you figure out how to survive so it is a post apocalyptic world um and we'll g- dig into that a little bit more as we talk about it but one of the important things um, to remember here is God has abandoned earth and that has a lot of implications to it. First and foremost, there's no afterlife anymore. There's no, like if somebody on earth at this point, if one of the meek dies, your, your soul doesn't go anywhere. It has nowhere to go. The gates to hell are closed. The gates to heaven are closed. So you just die. So there's no afterlife. Um, so there's, that also means there's no sin since there's no threat of punishment or enticement of reward. So once people start realizing this, everything just goes bonkers uh, with like, you see things like uh, slavery comes back um, in certain parts of the country, um, cannibalism, uh, everybody just essentially starts going feral. Um, Man no longer has mastery over the beasts because that was a gift from God. So animals are becoming more wild. They're becoming uh, let. They're no longer afraid of humans, basically. So they'll come out of the mountains and everything and attack people. Uh, the only animals that are still showing any kind of loyalty to humans are dogs. So you could, if you have a dog with you for protection, that's pretty valuable. Vast, like vast swaths of the country are completely uninhabited. Um, you could walk. You could you know, go for days and days and not see another person. But, you know, there are Mad Max style raiding parties at a certain point. It's just a complete, uh, a complete hellscape, basically, from the perspective of a civilized person in modern society. And also 
man-made things are starting to rot at an accelerated rate. Like bridges are being overrun with rust in a, you know, a matter of months or years, whereas normally it would take decades for something like that to happen. Essentially, nature is reclaiming the earth. And if something isn't being used regularly, it just starts to decay. Immediately, you're in a sort of hopeless world. Your supplies are limited. There is very little civilization to speak of. And that's the world we find ourselves in, in the end. I have read this book. It is a depressing book. <laughs> like, <laughs> that reviewer was not very far off the mark because I was reading this. I'm like, oh, man. Because another part of the story is it talks about the seven seals of the apocalypse and everything and how the, the, how the four horsemen uh, sort of inflicted themselves on the world. And it does it through um, news accounts. Like, there was pestilence. Oh. Pestilence, pestilence is like some sort of or no famine is the famine is the um the problem with the soil pestilence is the disease that was cooked up in a lab there's just a lot to unpack here i'm not gonna go through all of it because it's all depressing but anyways the point like the point is you just sort of travel through this world going to these settlements that are trying to hold on to sort of the last embers of civilization and restore them uh, and you know, that's where we are. The four horsemen still roam the countryside. Uh, there are new beasts like, you know, old Testament style beasts that roam the country as well. And this, this is pretty much set in North America. I think there were plans for this to release other supplements that would deal with other parts of the world. But since this was the only thing that scapegoat games ever released, if I'm correct about that, uh, we just never saw that. It does make me wonder if there's some sort of like nearly final draft sitting on someone's shelf that's been play tested and just never got published. Like that Star Fox sequel. Yes, exactly like that Star Fox sequel. Yeah, that you can actually buy <laughs> from unreputable dealers. <laughs> Probably the most notable thing about this game is that it was banned from Gen Con back in the 90s. And this was back when TSR, I think, owned Gen Con. And this was like legitimate old TSR, not this new TSR from Ernie Gygax. But they had a rule, apparently, against uh, games with lots of religious themes or imagery. Scapegoat had this. They got kicked out. And they ended up doing sort of a faux protest outside of Gen Con with like sandwich boards that were like, the end is here. Um, <laughs> you know, trying to be like the, the street prophet. Apparently, all it ended up doing was generating a little bit more buzz for them. But obviously, it didn't translate into sales to keep anything going. And, I, you know, I really wish I could find some more information about Scapegoat Games. The Probably the most interesting thing about this whole situation is the absolute dearth of information that's out there about the people behind it, the company, even like stories about the the controversy in the band at Gen Con. It's very difficult to find information about this. Like Evil Hat, uh, who you know publishes Fate, they put out a book that was essentially the history of tabletop role playing in like 2014, and there's a passing mention of this uh, of the Gen Con controversy for the end, but that's about it. Like, I went all over forums everywhere for weeks trying to find more information about this because 
you know, like I can read the book and I can tell you what's in the book, but I wanted to try and learn a little bit more about the story behind it. Like, how did this come up? Where did the ideas come from? What, you know, what made the author want to write this? I couldn't find anything. It was amazing to me. Well, it's almost like there was the Gen Con controversy and then that was that was all they did in the first place like that that's it like at that point they dissolved the entity they all went back to their day jobs you know and you know i'll i'll say like i didn't do maybe as much digging as i could have just because time is finite in my life but i don't know what else i could have done short of you know searching for corporation registrations in i think it was like wisconsin or uh or minnesota wherever that this company was headquartered just trying to find out you know when they registered their llc when it dissolved uh there's just no information the um the primary writer i think there were several people who wrote on it but sort of the primary creative on this was a man named uh joseph donka and i really tried to find out anything I could about him. I was like, well, he put out an RPG source book in the nineties. I bet he still stayed involved in the RPG scene for a while. And I can probably find some stuff. Couldn't find anything. It's almost like he never wrote anything else again. I see some passing mentions to maybe him uh, contributing to something, but I can never get the the title of it. uh, Whether it was, I don't know if it was maybe some sort of short adventure or something. I don't know. Couldn't find it. I think, I think I may have found him uh, on social media in a couple places. And I even reached out to him, but I couldn't get an answer. Um, I think at last check, my message is still on unread, <laughs> which doesn't surprise me. Because he's he would probably be in his mid-50s, early 60s at this point. And he may just not be somebody who's tied into their social media pretty closely, which is totally fair, which is totally fair. But believe me, I tried reasonably hard to get a hold of this person, to get them on the podcast, to interview them about this. And I'm not going to give up on that, but I really just wanted to get the story behind this. And it's just boggling to me that in this age where you can find almost, find out almost anything on the internet, if you look hard enough, that I really couldn't get any more information about how this came about. I mean, it almost strikes me as one of those situations where you have something that comes out and, you know, the the classic success story of these places is, oh, well, they were a group of friends and they got together in so-and-so's basement and they were playing games together. And one day they were like, you know, we could do this. Like, I have an idea for something. We could build it out. And, you know, they started building it out. And then now it's today it's this huge juggernaut machine. Well, obviously not every story is going to go like that. And I think the only reason we even know this group is still around is probably because of the Gen Con controversy and the buzz that surrounded that. Because I have to imagine that there's plenty of folks who go out there, they take their shot, it doesn't go like they wanted it to, and they're like, you know what, this was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be when I started all of this. I was anticipating way more fun than I got out of all of this. Yeah. Because I know we, when we started Goblins and Growlers, we were like, this is going to be great. This is going to be so much fun. 
And while it is great and it is a ton of fun, we also learned it is a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah, business ownership is hard and creative business ownership is really hard, especially if you're doing a lot of the content creation on top of trying to run the business. Um, yeah. But like I said, I think I found this guy and I'm not going to give out like too much information about what I found because I you know, don't want to dox him or anything like that. <laughs> I was going to say, please don't dox anyone on yeah. our podcast. Yeah, please don't. Because if, if, <laughs> if dude doesn't want to be found or talked to, you know, let him live in peace. I just, right. I just reached out with like a, hey, here's who I am and what I'm doing. Would love to talk to you about this if you want to. If not, I totally understand. But I'm pretty confident it's him. I'm just uh, of the impression that he has sort of left this life behind. Not not in a the end way, but in a <laughs> in a I've moved on with my life kind of way. Well, now something that I know because you and I have discussed this a little bit already, um, and then we were putting together the show notes, kind of discussing things, is that one of the people who worked on the end has done a significant catalog of other work. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the like really the way that I found out about this at all is I was on uh, Reddit poking around for like weird RPG systems. I was really just kind of looking for something different. I, you know, I do that every once in a while, especially when we're kicking around topic ideas for the show. And I found this, like the description was something to the effect of, you know, Christian apocalypse role-playing game. I was like, Oh, well this, if nothing else, this sounds like it'll be interesting to read. Uh, and one of the things that really took me about it was I saw a picture of the cover and we'll put this in the notes but it is very, it was really evocative to me of the Planescape art uh, from the 90s when the Planescape setting came out. Just um, sort of muted colors. You'd see a lot of geometry in the art. Um, there's like blues and browns and some golds and things like that. And I was like, oh, that, that looks a lot like Planescape. I wonder, just because the timing would have worked out, I wonder if the same artist who did that did Planescape. And I was wrong, but I wasn't far off. Yeah, finding out that this artist, uh, who let me grab his name again because I'm terrible with names. Richard Kane Ferguson. Richard Kane Ferguson um, did a lot of illustrating on Magic the Gathering cards. And I mean a lot of Magic the Gathering cards. Yeah. Like I was just scrolling through his Instagram and there are dozens of cards in there that he did the illustrations for. Yeah, his his work seems like it focuses a lot on sort of dark fantasy stuff. Um, I found uh, a, a little item about him where just in 2021... The original oil and acrylic he did for uh, Dacon Shadow Slayer, which I presume is a magic card. I'm not super into magic, but the gist I got from reading this was that it was the illustration for a magic card. But this was the original oil and acrylic that he did for it. It sold for like thirty one thousand dollars, which is amazing. It's pretty phenomenal. Like that is. I don't think there are many magic cards that you can sell for that kind of money. And magic has a much larger on average following with a much deeper well of pockets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, you know, this guy is a professional artist and he was a successful professional artist back then. So it wasn't just sort of a fly by night thing. 
um, the way this came together, which makes it, you know, essentially the rapture of information, uh, all information about this book, all the more strange. I want to talk a little bit about the setting some more um, because I had a thought while I was reading this. You know, we talked about how it's a scarcity environment. It's post-apocalyptic. Civilization is kind of scattered and only exists in little cells here and there. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm thinking of The Walking Dead because it's essentially the the wider Walking Dead universe has sort of evolved into this where we're well aware that there's a wider world out there, but there are only pockets of civilization that largely are unconnected. And I got to thinking that let's set aside all the religious connotations for a minute because no matter what you believe, you have to believe that hurt it. In the 90s, we were not so far away from the scare uh, about Dungeons and Dragons uh, like we are now. Like, it's a lot easier for, I think, adults now to sort of laugh at that. Uh, but even in the 90s, I think there was still some lingering feelings about that, especially from really, really conservative people. Uh, so set aside all the religious stuff about this if you put that aside it's almost like this game came along about 20 or 30 years too early you know if this had been coincident maybe with when kirkman's walking dead was really catching fire i feel like this is a natural dovetail that could have propelled it to maybe a bit of a why a, a more prominent spot in the general rpg canon you know like it was it was it just before its time was that was that one of the big knocks against it well and it's one of those situations where it's entirely possible that had they produced it in a time when post-apocalypse media was more popular then they could have gotten you know a peer group or someone like that to pull them aside and be like hey you know like the religious overtones there may be a little too strong like play those down a little bit more and play this up a little bit more and then rebrand it like this and then all of a sudden they would have had a bombshell on their hands like it's it's impossible to say the other the other question that raises is uh was this like yes too early but was it a indicator of things to come like was this the the light in the distance to be like, ah, the post-apocalypse wave is coming. I mean, it's not that there was not, it's not that there were no other popular post-apocalyptic media out there back then. Well, we like, had like Mad Max. Yeah. You had Mad Max, um, you know, Omega Man was, uh, you know, popular. Um, it wasn't like groundbreakingly popular, but you know, it was popular. Uh, Planet of the Apes. Like you boil everything else away, that's a post-apocalyptic film, um, but also it had its own particular hook that wasn't the you know one of the dominant faiths on Earth. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not necessarily that. Maybe it's the grittiness of this post-apocalyptic work, because um, it's much more in line with the kind of stuff you see on The Walking Dead versus sort of the essentially cartoon violence of stuff like planet of the apes, because the, the story I was telling about the intro to the book and how it goes through the life of that guy whose life changed, like he basically turns into Daryl Dixon by the time it's over. So 
he's he's taking on he goes from being like an accountant to being able to take on bands of raiders and stuff like that and protect people becomes somebody who's well known sort of throughout the uh the connected world uh because that's another thing it very much treats it like the old west which you see a lot in post-apocalyptic literature how everything sort of devolves into that where like there are so few people left that your reputation can be carried kind of wide and far just uh on a few stories so he becomes that sort of the archetype of the new survivor like a rick grimes or a daryl dixon essentially uh and i i really do think the more i've thought about it for a few days now and the more i think about it is like if this came out maybe not now because the ttrpg market is just so flooded right now there's just so much from so many different genres but if this came out maybe like 10 10 or 15 years later um, so it came out in 95. So we were talking about 2005, 2010. Um, I think it could have at least sparked an ember that would have kept burning until now. And there was a second edition revival attempt at this in like the late 90s, early 2000s from another outfit called Tyranny Games, which looks like they purchased the rights to this. Or perhaps it was the same group of people who reincorporated under another company. Again, I cannot find information about it. They also appeared defunct at this point because I did some looking there as well. And if anybody else can prove me wrong on this or can find some other information, please tell me because I felt like I feel like I did my due diligence trying to find this information and it's just not there. But they did a second edition revival for the end. They had a few more releases. It looks like they released maybe three or four books for it. Really, the only concrete information I could find for that was somebody who wrote a review of it and was very sort of laudatory, but they also had a disclaimer in the review that's like, hey, I'm a, I was a big fan of the original release of this system, and I'm, I know I'm writing kind of a glowing review on this, but I just want to be upfront with you that I'm also hoping that I can uh, do some writing for this system. And it seems like this just sort of faded away over the course of a few years because the references I've found show that the second edition maybe started up in 99 and maybe by 2002, 2003, it also had disappeared following suit with its predecessor. But, you know, maybe they just missed the boat. Maybe, like I said, maybe if this comes out in like the 2010s when Walking Dead is really getting popular and making that leap from comic books to AMC, something like this riding those kind of post-apocalyptic coattails play down the religious aspects of it, maybe keep them in there, but don't make them so much the focus. Uh, and then it would, it would have had more of a chance, but as a creative, I can also understand the counter argument of, well, if you take that away from it and downplay it, then what is it? It's not my vision anymore. So win or lose on this, the one thing I can respect, and I think anybody who engages in any kind of creative work, no matter how you feel about how they're talking about, uh, Christianity or anything like that, when somebody has a vision and they take that big swing to put it together and they get so far as they're producing this, what, like 170 page source book with professional art and everything like that. Like you have to stand up and applaud that because they put in the work. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but you got to love that they put the work in. I will never run this game. Not because I have any objections to the content or anything like that. It's just a little too much of a downer for me. So I don't think I would ever put the effort into running it. 
just as a thing that exists that I'm going to keep on my shelf because I actually managed to find a softcover copy of it for like seven bucks, uh, which I'm kind of amazed about because I just looked for some the other day, like two months after I ordered this, and they're much more expensive now. But that I have this, I'm glad that I have it because it represents somebody who had a vision that they put the time and effort into executing. And no matter what else you can say, they were successful at putting it out there to let people decide if they wanted it or not. So I had missed that you found a revival under Tyranny Games. So I did a little bit of digging on Tyranny Games and uh, guess who pops back up? It's your boy, Joseph Donka, uh-huh. who actually works on a expansion for the end called The End Exodus, which is kind of a continuation story for people who have played The End and had uh, successful runs. <laughs> um, and that, that came out in 2005. So it is... It's interesting to see that, like, they took their initial swing in the mid-90s, and then it goes dark for a while. And then, at the very least, Joseph Donka and Joseph E. Tierney both pop up and produce a couple more modules and things like that for the end. They produce a system called Cults and Conspiracies. Oh, I'm sorry. That is an expansion for Of Gods and Men. Mm -hmm. um and all of that is available on drive through rpg so i was like well surely they have a website well they did have a website it was tyrannygames.com and that now is a chinese football yes website i found that when i was looking <laughs> that's why that's why i was saying that i was pretty sure that the company was defunct because their web address is now a chinese football website um looking in the actual credits for the first edition of the end. I don't see Joseph Tierney anywhere. So what I suspect might've happened is maybe he was somebody who enjoyed the end. He approached Donka about let's try it again. And then they partnered to try and do something else with the IP. I have nothing to base that on other than just my suspicions, but that makes sense since one of them's listed in the original and one of them's not. And, you know, Joe Donka is the creator and writer of all this. I just thought it was interesting that I was able to find Tyranny Games at least a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm uh, looking at the credits page on this, and it also has some disclaimers and stuff, which I'd read but have sort of forgotten about. And it's really long. Uh, but essentially, it's like, the end's a work of fiction. Any similarity between characters and events portrayed in this book and any real person is living or dead? Purely coincidental, wishful thinking on behalf of some lawsuit-hungry party. The premise of the end is based on Judeo-Christian apocalypse stories. This does not represent a religious statement on behalf of the management of scapegoat games, nor is it meant as a religious treatise. It's just a game, folks. This is only a game. If at any time what happens while playing the end becomes more important than reality, seek competent psychiatric help. I think that might have been meant to address, perhaps, people who would criticize the game. Uh, in addition to people going a little hardcore in it. Due to the subject matter and artistic content of the end, the product should be used only by those individuals mature enough to handle it. We recommend a minimum age of 17 be required before playing. 
and all biblical quotes as well as chapter and verse notations come from the King James Version of the Bible. So I think that was probably their attempt to get in front of what they expected in terms of criticism, I think. Which is probably wise. Yeah, well, and I don't blame them for trying to get out ahead of that. Uh, it does... I don't know. There are two ways to read the whole, like, if this is if this is getting you too worked up, you might need to seek professional help. And one of those is the favorable, like, hey, you know, like, take care of yourself. You know, don't don't do this if you're in a rough emotional space or if this is a little too rough for you. Um, the flip side of that is I've known altogether too many people who will be like, oh, well, if it's so distressing for you, maybe you need. And it's like, I hope it's not the latter. <laughs> yeah. But it's impossible to say because text has no tone. Uh, what I can say is that doing a little more sleuthing on Tyranny Games, I uh, I did find a mailing address, which again, I'm not going to dox anything here, uh, but I suspect people who do the same sort of sleuthing I did may also come across it, which, uh, I don't know, maybe you could send a postcard and be like, <laughs> Hey, is this still Tyranny Games? Yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> so something I will say is that Joseph Tierney, at the very least, was active at forums when they were advertising the return of the end. Mm -hmm. And some of those posts are still up talking about like, hey, here's what you can expect from the new stuff we're producing. Um, here's some of the other things that we've got licenses for. Like they talk about... Uh, the role-playing game of Gods and Men. They also talk about something called Sack Army's Expeditionary Force. And then they talk about uh, anticipating the release of their newest boardless board game, Colonization, which I think I definitely want to read a little bit more about, but I don't want to take too much of the heat that we have gathered from the end. Right. So I, if if we dig into that and we find a nugget of delicious, sweet material, then maybe we can make that a future episode. You know, so maybe maybe the thing to do if we are trying to track down the creative team on this and get some more information, since we've sort of run into a dead end with Joe Donka, if the guy that I'm pretty sure is him won't respond to me, uh, maybe we reach out to Joseph Tierney and see if we can't get our foot in the door that way yeah which as we say the word tyranny multiple times because it's tyranny games and as we say the last name tyranny it occurs to me that tyranny games is just because his last name is tyranny yeah <laughs> yeah i kind of feel a little dumb there that i didn't think of that <laughs> But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, like I, I feel like he has to be. We're we're turning this into a true crime podcast now. Like I feel like he has to be. He had to have come into the picture later, approached the original creator, and said, "Hey, let's do something with this. Do you want to work together?" And then they, I mean, they put out some stuff, and it it didn't work out. I wouldn't completely rule out the possibility that the two of them already knew each other, and this was just a situation where. Joseph Tierney was like, hey, you know what? Like, I want to license these games and I want to print them and publish them and we can do more of the end stuff and we can work on some new original stuff as well. And Joseph Donka was like, hell yeah, let's do this. Like, I don't I don't want to paint too bold of a picture when 
you and I are basically like picking up the barest newspaper clippings and trying to establish a complete picture out of them. Yeah, oh, speak for yourself. I've got I've got a bunch of note cards on my wall with string going from one to the other to the other. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I didn't I didn't dive so deep into it that I was analyzing the names of the posters who were posting this stuff. So you know, that's on me just doing it with my part-time research there. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like now we might actually be able to reach out to somebody who we would have a decent chance of talking to about something. I mean, at the very least, it seemed like, because I, I have yet to see anything that indicates that Joseph Donka was ever like reaching out to the public, doing like marketing materials or anything like that. Or Joseph Tierney, at the very least, we know is more comfortable with the concept of being out in a public space, talking about the marketing of new materials and things like that. Mm -hmm. So maybe if we can find some sort of social media for Joseph Tierney, which by the way, listeners, uh, we there's no guarantee that we find that between now and release time. So if you find that and you want to tweet it at us or send it in an email or literally like smoke signals, like we don't get us that information, uh, that might be very useful for us. I really do want to turn this into a podcast series <laughs> where we <laughs> track down the creators and actually have a fulsome interview with them about this setting and everything. Because again, before like right before we got into this talk about tyranny. Like I was sort of going off on my usual rant of like respect creators because they're putting themselves out there and everything. Like, that's what I want to talk about. I just like, Hey, this is a pretty bold move that you made for the time trying to put this out there. And, you know, I just want to hear the story of how it came about and what, what was the Genesis pardon the pun of this idea for you. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to kind of get their perspective on not just the production of the game, but also, you know, how was it received from the perspective of the creator? Because I know, like, w our books, the stuff that we sell is reasonably well accepted and folks seem to enjoy it. But I know, for me personally, anytime I, like, flip open one of the books, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this adventure. Oh, yeah, I also remember, like, this is before I realized this and this about monster creation. And so, like, the numbers are wonky compared to how I would do it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I really, I, I I had planned originally on ending this episode by us both just sort of talking about our favorite post-apocalyptic stories. But I think you, in, in a very good turn, have twisted this into more the begin the opening salvo of a mystery that we're going to have to solve and track down and get a hold of somebody so we can <laughs> learn a little bit more about this and and you know share that with listeners and stuff uh, i would encourage anybody who is even mildly interested in what we're talking about to try to get their hands on a copy of the end uh, like i said there are two versions of it there's the original one that came out in the mid 90s and then there's the revival with that tyranny was involved with that was more like 99 through 2003 2005 something like that so be try to be sure which one you're buying if you look for the one with the cover that looks kind of like a planescape game you'll know the one i'm talking about uh but i found mine on abebooks.com which is sort of my go-to for like weird used books that i can't find anywhere locally 
So I would check that out as my first place if you wanted to get it. Like I bought mine for like eight or nine dollars or something like that. I think they're coming up a little bit more expensive on there now. But if nothing else, as a curiosity, I think it's worth it. Uh, I would say also, if you're going to be checking out like some of the work that surrounds this piece, you should go look at uh, Robert Kane Ferguson's Instagram. Did I get his name right? Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. Richard, uh, Richard Robert... Kane Ferguson. Richard Kane no! Ferguson. No. So this is if if you ever needed evidence that I'm genuinely really bad at names, like it's right here. And it's just that I'm bad at remembering them. Uh, <laughs> Richard, Richard Kane Ferguson. Check out his Instagram, uh, which is just Instagram.com slash Ferguson, because the art he does is really cool. Yeah, it's full I of cool really stuff. Like it. It's totally full of cool stuff. This is, I like to think, the first in a multi-chapter Goblins and Growlers investigation of The End and Scapegoat Games. Uh, maybe we can have our own Netflix doc on this by the time it's done. <laughs> well, my, my sincerest hope is that chapter two is not us coming back and being like, so we got a hold of some of the people who were creators and they told us to leave them alone. <laughs> fair that can be a news that can be a news item at the top of the next podcast um but anyways folks thanks for listening this turned this turned into something different than what we planned when we were talking about recording it but i'm very happy with where it landed and it's given us some purpose in trying to push this storyline on a little bit josh do you have anything more you want to add I just want to say that this is uh, one of my favorite pieces of you and I doing this show is the occasions where we're just kind of jawing back and forth. And then one of us is like light bulb. I'll tell you this too. We cut out a good bit of this podcast because we had some side conversations about how to go about the investigation and where to look on some stuff. If it sounds weird when we cut back in, that's probably why. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully we're better editors than that, but I don't know. All right. Well, if anybody has any leads, you can tweet them at me at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. Or you can tweet them at me at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. Or, you know, you could email them to contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com, subject line, the end mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime thanks for listening to the goblins and growlers podcast please support us as you can if nothing else please tell a friend about it uh i'm brandon dingus if you can give us a review on something like apple podcasts that helps us out and costs you nothing it costs you nothing i'm josh Mulpin. thanks everybody we'll catch you next time bye y'all